All right, everybody. Today on Eternal Leadership, we're going to be talking about making a jailbreak. I want you guys to, I'm sitting here talking to my friend, my guest, Jeff Blanton. Jeff, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Uh, John, it's great to be here. And we are, you know, we were just having this great conversation before I even hit record. I should have hit it earlier about this feeling that we get on Sunday night. You know, how many of you out there, you're sick and tired of being sick and tired of being sick and tired? You know what I mean? Uh, if you can relate to that, you're just grinding it out. You're trying to maintain your business. You're playing the success game that's out there. You're trying to go through all these processes and think about your calling, your purpose, your mission. And I got to tell you, Jeff has written this book called Jail Break Leadership. It's about freeing your purpose, discovering your calling, and living and leading with meaning and impact. And Jeff, one of the things you and I were just talking about was that, you know, this whole process that a lot of the people I work with and that I coach and that I hear from every day on email, this entire kind of this work we're going to be talking about seems to be such a difficult challenge for so many people. And a lot of people are in a place where I was many years ago, what I would call smoldering discontent. That's the term I used to. I took that from you, John. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Well, you know what? But it's not a fun place to be. And so, but according to that study we were talking about, I think it was Monster published. I think it's 76% of Americans. This is just in America. So people living around the world, I don't know if it's similar for you. 76% of Americans on Sunday night. So think about that. About 60% of our country are self-identified evangelicals and Catholics. So even half of people that are Christian looking at their work ahead, literally have a physical or mental, like a negative reaction in illness, anxiety, thinking about the week ahead. Man, I'll guarantee you, I'm uh, preaching to the choir, but we don't want to feel that way. But why do you think, especially in Western society, this has become so epidemic, Jeff? Well, <laughs> I make the case that you, me, and everyone listening to this podcast is in jail, John. And the bottom line is we come out and uh, almost immediately we start getting programmed, right? Our parents, uh, good parents, bad parents, doesn't really matter. We're basically getting their view of the world and you're gonna, just going to get programmed with some stuff that just probably isn't quite true. And then we go to school, that continues on. Uh, you look at your circle of friends, right? You're kind of living in this little bubble and you have all these beliefs that just get created over time. And then we go out and have some experiences, some good, some bad. Somehow, the way we're wired, we way overweigh the negatives, right? So, you know, it's like you did a 360-degree feedback and 10 people said you walked on water and the 11 said, I don't like the color of your shirt. <laughs> I mean, you think about what's wrong with my shirt, right? <laughs> you no, know, that's true. We do tend to focus on, you know, those negative comments. I've had to be careful when I do uh, public speaking or training groups and corporations and you get 20, 30, 40, 100 feedback forms back, and there's one or two that didn't like, I mean, you're never going to please everybody, but then you're obsessed over those one or two. But then you know what I realized? If I'm actually teaching a group and I can tell that one or two people either we're just not connecting, but there's 20 or 30 other people that we are, I'm doing an incredible disservice to the rest of the group right. if I'm just trying to focus on making those two grumpy people in the front row smile Right, you have no idea why they're not smiling. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, Sometimes people are smiling, actually you're getting it. It's the guy in his back that's not getting it, that's smiling at you. <laughs> so, you know, I've gotten to the point now after doing this for so long that honestly, the uh, I don't read the negative reviews anymore. I have somebody that takes all the feedback and all the summary, put it all together in a way to actually look at what we did well, what did we, and what do we uh, need to do better, and what did we learn but focusing on some of those individual things for me would just tie up my brain space uh, and it wasn't healthy. So we have all this programming going on. I think we got this pre-wire and it kind of leans us towards uh, you know, being safe, right? The kind of the fear factor. And then uh, everyone says, this is how the world works, right? So then we have a society that we live in. I heard the other day that we get bombarded with like 15,000 branded messages a day, right? And that's all about what, you know, convincing you buy this product and you'll be happy. You'll be successful, everything, right? You'll feel good. You'll look better than your peers. And so we buy into all these things. And, you know, at 20, we get out of our houses, we, you know, college or high school, we start working and we start climbing the ladder. And uh, sooner or later, we probably get some traction, start getting some promotions, start getting some things in life. And um, 
about 30, we, you know, we fall in love, then we buy the house and the car, and about 40, all of a sudden we wake up and we go, is this it? <laughs> you know, did I get sold a bill of goods? In reality, I believe we did. You know, we've been chasing this thing called security, which ultimately says there's scarcity in the world, so you gotta go get yours, right? So we're chasing, chasing, chasing the buck. Uh, we're chasing power, which is, uh, you know, I'm trying to have control over my domain here, which is all kind of the fear side of things. And we're chasing some pleasure, right? We're trying to live the good life. But then we go on uh, Instagram or Facebook and see everyone else is still living a better life than you. And so then we're like highly disappointed as we create comparisons. So there we are. We're stuck in this thing realizing it just isn't delivering for us. And then the question becomes, what now? What do we do? So that's what led me to, uh, man, if I knew what my purpose was, seems like that would be a good answer. So that's where we went. Sorry for assuming that, John. Yeah, well, let me, you know, in your book, you write that you were in your 30s when you had your first jailbreak. You know, share about what that looked like and how you realized you actually needed to break free of something. I'd like to share a real personal story of this jail thing. It's, uh, it's really the legacy of my sister, Diane. My, my sister was a year and a half older than me, and she passed away at 29. Mm. And uh, she came out to visit me in California about, I don't know, a year or so before she passed away. She'd been highly, very ill, gotten better, and came out and visited, and I'm passing away. But she came out. I was living on my boat at the time, and I remember taking a walk around the marina, sitting there looking out over the harbor, and she shared this story with me that blew me away at the time. And then more recently, this whole concept of jail, I'm like, oh, my goodness, I really get it now. She, so at, growing up, my dad worked for GM. We moved around a lot as kids. I played ball, so it was kind of easy for me to integrate in. And I don't know exactly her story, but something happened. So she said when she was in fifth grade, so what's that, about 10 years old, 11 years old, she um, made a decision. She decided I won't be the prettiest or the sexiest or the most athletic, but if I work hard enough, I could be the smartest. And so at 10 years old, she decided to become the smartest person in the room. And so, I mean, I grew up with her, it was crazy. I mean, my sister studied, 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 straight A's, valedictorian to high school, went off to private school, dean's list, the whole nine yards, right? Mm -hmm. Just being the smartest person. Well, that's all great. In fact, I remember in high school one time, I, I'm standing with my B and she's got her A plus. I go, that's the stupidest thing ever, John. I go, how do you know if you didn't overstudy? <laughs> that was my philosophy. <laughs> so, I something, but I don't remember what it was now. So the problem was she gets out of the academia and then she goes and gets this great job at IBM. But have you ever had a boss who says, don't work too hard? So she carried that same philosophy to the work environment. And of course, trying to be the smartest person, let's go get a master's degree at the same time. Well, at 25, all of a sudden, she became deathly ill, almost died. Mm. Well, it turns out she had adrenaline cancer, which is a very, very rare form of cancer. And all the doctors, and she agreed, it was all stress-related. So essentially, she was living this life based on a decision, probably based on some kid saying something to her that said, I'm going to be the smartest guy in the room, and that's what I'm going to go do. And so I think these things happen to us early in life that just put us in these jails and we just don't even realize it. And we're and our lives are operating on that. And in my sister's case, I mean, it took her out. So uh, I think we're all in that mode. And uh, the sooner we understand that we're all being captured by some of these crazy ideas we have, this influences society, some of the things people have said to us, there's nothing more that comes out of this podcast. It's just, hey, folks, wake up, look around. What do you really believe and who's driving your ship, right? So anyways, very profound to me what happened to her. So I grew up in the same family, and I think referencing, you know, as in my 30s, I got this director-level job at this company, and things were shifting around, and I was kind of curious of who I was going to report to. So I go to my VP and I said, hey, Gary, uh, what's happening here? And he looks at me, he says, Jeff, he goes, I have three directors, I need one, and you're not it. <laughs> well, you know, I was being pretty, I thought I was being successful, doing everything I was supposed to be doing. So I was, uh, first off, I was just like pissed off. And I, I go home, I regroup, and what did I do? I come back the next day, and all I did is almost as if he hadn't said anything, I just doubled down. Because I grew up in a family was, if it's not working, then just work harder. And sure enough, three months later, we had a kind of a mass layoff, and guess who got laid off? So Gary told me, Jeff, you're out of here. I could have started looking for my next job, right? But no, based on my wiring, 
I, I took this whole, like, no, I can work my way through this thing. So that was kind of a big, oh, wow for me. So fortunately, uh, you know, I kind of caught it before my sister did, but yes, you know, we just have these inherent things are just not quite right. Not true. You know, working hard is important, but that's not the end all be all. How did you respond, Jeff, when you were working so hard, felt like you were doing everything at the best of your ability, and then you get the feedback that, hey, you're not the guy, and then you double down, and you still get let go. So there must have been uh, some inner monologue going on there. Well, it sort of makes sense, because I had worked at the company, and it's a whole other story. I had this big, huge success there. And I'm, I'm always coming with a project guy. So if there's not a big project going on, I'm not interested. And I came in, they had this huge sort of uh, like a middle market company, it had this project they've been working on. It was like they had to get it done. The future depended on it. So I got engaged in that. Some crazy things happened. I created some high performance teams. It was just kind of this big kumbaya moment. And then that was over. I'm kind of going, all right, well, I don't see anything next year. And I went off on this other big opportunity. Well, it turns out that never really came to fruition after about a year and a half. And then this company reached out and said, come back, right? So I come back. I'm feeling like, okay, these guys love me. They give me this group to turn around. And I had been there a year and a half, two years, John, and I was being successful. I mean, I turned it around. We're not going to do – I mean, I'm doing all the measurements that you know, you'd say, that's successful. And then I have the boss go, and guess what? You're not my guy. <laughs> that in itself was kind of nuts. And that's when I just defaulted to my natural wiring was rather than going, okay, that's interesting. What should I really do? You know, really sit down and think about it. I just immediately defaulted to doubling down, work harder. You know, that's the answer. And, you know, clearly it wasn't the answer and was quite this, you know, the day I went down there, it was a surprise. You know, I didn't know it was coming until I go, oh, go down and see so-and-so, right? And as I walk him down there, I'm going, uh-oh. <laughs> and from across the room, I knew, like, this is it, right? And I got in there. I started defending myself. And then I go, what am I doing? You know, this is over decision made. And I just, like, got my package and left, right? But, yeah, it was devastating. It was truly eye-opening. And I still do it today. It's, it's a default mode for me, right? So it, that's a big challenge. It's, it's not easy busting out of jail. Yeah, well, you know, and you referred this metaphor, this concept of jail a number of times. Describe the jail that you feel that we've all seemed to lock ourselves into. I think it's just these set of beliefs that we get told about how the world works, what's going to make us happy, what's the definition of success. The answer is success, not significance. It's about, you know, it's about getting mine. Uh, it's about, like I said, it's about controlling my space. And so we go off in this adventure. I mean, I think our schooling is uh, tied up that way. It's like, okay, here's how we should work. But the same token, I think we're also told to uh, stay in the pack, keep your head down. Who do you think you are to be special or different or go after that big creative idea? And for the most part, we don't reward that. I mean, society kind of says, you know, be careful out there. So we end up in this sort of uh, box that we're in. And what I see, and I'm sure you see as well in your work, is it's really hard to see your own jail. You almost need other people around you to say, uh, you know, that behavior or that thing you just said, <laughs> that might not be really working for you. It's really hard to see ourselves. So it's really we're in a jail that we don't even realize that we're in. You know, as I think of that, right, I'm thinking of a lot of the jail, you know, that place of smoldering discontent that I was in. You know, everything external in my life, I think a lot of people kind of from the outside looking in would have said, wow, it, things are going awesome right? You know, John is doing well, he's rocking. And man, for me, it was my mindset toward people and situations. I think I'd kind of developed more of a victim than a victor mentality, if that makes sense, right? That a lot of the circumstances outside of my world were controlling me. I wasn't focusing on the things I could control, which is how I thought, my identity, I never, at that time, Jeff, I had not taken the time to say, okay, what are some of the limiting beliefs that are driving me? When I get into situations, how do I respond, like consistently lead to results that just aren't optimum? You know, instead of taking personal responsibility for some of the outcomes, it was a lot easier for me to look externally and say, well, it's because of boom, boom, boom. Not my fault. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. Of course. And the flip side of this is, Sometimes these things that we're doing that are really ultimately negative also have a positive, right? I mean, like I say, working hard is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's just when we take it to some extreme, then it becomes a bad thing. Or if it's my, I'm a one-trick pony. I always lean into that. Then that's not the way to go. 
So that's one of the challenges because you can make a case for where it's worked before. And so uh, let's just keep doing it. Now, what are, you know, so we're talking about this concept of a jail, right? Um, you write in the book about, you know, some of the keys that let you out of the jail. You call it your three P's. You know, what did you find? What did you discover as you worked through this whole process that unlocked things for you? Yeah, so when I was about 40, had another, I mean, I was involved with the startup. It run its course. I loved it in the beginning when it's all new and early. That's, that, that's my sweet spot. Next thing you know, I got 80 people working for me, and that's not my sweet spot. So I was kind of miserable. And so I kind of went from large corporate all the way down. So the startup was my last corporate gig. And I said, now I'm going to go do start my own business, right? That was, <laughs> that was sort of my double down on uh, finding a solution to trying to be happy. And so, as you know, you start your own business, now all of a sudden you got marketing and sales and finance and all these other things you got to do. So you're still not doing that thing you thought you wanted to do. And so that was sort of the approach I took. I said, you know, let's change up jobs, let's do that. But I felt like there had to be something else. And so, like I shared, um, my sweet spot has really been leading big strategic projects. And what I always found was I was highly successful by walking in the door and actually going, why are you doing this? And once they got past all their financial reasons, I said, yeah, but why? What's the real story? Then a story got created that I can now invite people into. You know, here's why this is important. So I created that purpose. I created that why for the project. And then I would invite people in and say, geez, John, uh, you're part of this project. Uh, why are you interested in this project? You say, oh, I want more visibility or I want to play with the technology or whatever's kind of unique about the project. Then my job was to help you make that happen, right? And that was my formula for success with just combining those things. So I said, man, if that works over there, why wouldn't that work for me if I knew my purpose? And so uh, I went about looking for purpose and I found one was go do the thing you like. Well, I always like to say I like to eat pizza, but I wasn't getting anywhere too good. <laughs> then some people spoke of, well, go, what did you like to do when you're a kid? And I go, man, I, I was playing basketball 24-7. Well, you know, at 62, that's not going to be working for me. And... Um, the third thing was go off in the woods and spend some time and write out what you want to do. And I love doing that. I probably did that five times. And I would come back with a whole little book, you know, saying, here's all the things I'm going to do. This is my purpose in the world. And then someone said, well, what is it, Jeff? I go, uh, wait a minute. <laughs> I couldn't even remember what it was, right? And then I realized it probably was mostly jail talk anyways, right? It wasn't me is what I thought people would want me to be doing. Well, you know, that's an important differentiator that I think really holds people back is we have this filter going. It's interesting as I work with my clients who are actually not Christians and we talk about purpose, we talk about, you know, some of the dreams, things that they want to do, man, that they are just unfiltered. They just start putting stuff down on paper. Right. When I do that with my Christian clients, it's like there's this filter running and they're thinking about, okay, if I wrote that down in my pastor or my guys in my Bible study or my wife or somebody read that, would they judge it? Would they think it's okay? Is it noble? Is it self-serving? And they're really limited because they have, so one of my clients I was working with is he was totally stuck. He, we were talking about this whole concept. He came back and it only written down a couple things. And the question I asked him, I said, whose voice are you listening to? You know, the voice of they or the voice of God as some of these things are bubbling up in your heart. What if you acknowledge some of these desires and passions that you have? are actually birthed from, you know, God's spirit enthroned inside of you. And this, I got to tell you, for when this, this unlocked for him and gave him like the permission to put aside the opinions of all these others and just focus on some of the things that he wanted to create himself in his life. And then we sat down and said, okay, are these in alignment with God? Some were, some weren't. But I got to tell you, that was a huge impediment for him to really, I think, step into his true purpose and his calling. Mm. I actually find an interesting uh, difference between working with some Christian clients and non-Christian clients. At some level, non-Christian clients are easier uh, because I find often that my Christian clients want to spiritualize everything. <laughs> it's like... Or over-spiritualize. Right, right. And it's like, you know, <laughs> and, and I'm going to say, I think it's a jail. 
right? Once again, they're trying to perform, they're trying to say, mm. I think this is how the world would want me to, to say, this is how I think I'm supposed to show up. So I need to put it in that box versus going, no, 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 that, that really wasn't the question. I'm just asking you, when are you powerful? When are you good, right? It's like the next thing you know, you're off on some crazy tangent that you go, ah, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> So that's what led to really one of the profound things for me. And it took like 15 years later, John. I mean, it wasn't quick. But all of a sudden, I came across a different definition. And it really came out of the first sentence of, I think, Rick Warren's book. It says, it's not about you. And so I, my definition for purpose is it's a unique thing you do for others. And when all of a sudden I flipped it from purpose being about me to like, what am I actually doing for other people? That opened up a whole new way of looking at it. So that was sort of the first profound change. And then the second piece was whole other crazy story, but found myself on a three month sabbatical. And as part of the sabbatical, I was up in Montana at this ranch and I was with uh, I don't know, about a dozen other guys. Just turns out they were from Orange County as well. Didn't know them beforehand. And I was there for a week, and the whole concept of this was it's a big working ranch. This isn't about, you know, the zip lines or anything. It was like some training, some spiritual work, and then go out and be, right? And anyways, day one, something occurred. This fella, you know, the next day everybody goes, hey, Doug, da-da-da-da. And everybody goes, wow, Doug, that's amazing. And he just had this sort of like, yeah, whenever that comes up, I don't know, I can't help myself, I just do that. And then I proceeded over that week watching every single person kind of have that moment, right? Where we're all together, something would happen, we all would be attentive to it, but some individual all of a sudden would just step into action. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, last day, there I am, right? And this thing's all coming to a close. And the group is all together, and they wanted to pray for the lead guy, and he he had already left and they do all that. But this guy had invited these people because he was making a call to action. And we get all done. I said, well, you know, <laughs> prayer is great, but what are we going to do? You know. So here I am, the guy, the outsider, standing in front of this group of highly successful men going, but what are we going to do? And I realized I couldn't help myself. You know, I'm, I'm my, my two-minute purpose is mobilizing possibilities. And this guy presented a possibility. So where are we going with this? And so I'm driving home from Montana. Most people fly, of course, but I drove. And I'm coming back, and I'm like going, man, I think we're already doing it. And so then all of a sudden, I kind of connected those two dots of it's not about me, and I'm already doing it. So is there a way of discovering this in some really simple terms? And that's what led to the process that I share in the book, Jailbreak Leadership, of uh, discovering your two-worded process or your two-worded purpose. Well, yeah, and you talk about purpose and calling. You just define purpose as that unique thing that you are going to do for others. How do you define calling? What's the difference between the two? So to me, purpose is a process. And so how we discover purpose is we ask you for an unscripted moment. And what an unscripted moment is, John, is when are you called into action, like automatically? And um, you just can't help yourself. You jump in. And you don't give it any thought. You don't like, oh, how am I going to do this? I mean, all your giftings, everything come in the line, like immediately. You just can't help yourself. So like the story I was saying where these guys were all sitting about and saying, yeah, there's all these big things. And wow, what about Ken? But then when no one was in action, right, I couldn't help myself. I had to get up and say, all right, what are we going to do, right? And so trying to discover where it is you're called into action. We actually look at frustrations and injustices, these things that have always called you to action. And I'm going to say, you know, it's a God thing because it happens before that, you know, that the fight or flight part of our brain kicks in. So there's some nanosecond where the good Lord says, John, <laughs> I need you to go over there right now. And you go and you realize you've been going there your whole life, right? And even some things earlier in life might even seal the deal. It says, man, let me tell you a story of that happened that make me want to go do that every time. And so I share that where you're going through life, you're walking along, all of a sudden this sort of unscripted moment occurs and it kicks you into your purpose. And so you start doing what you're doing. So in my case, I might be going up at the whiteboard and collecting information and asking questions and doing all these things to get things out in front of everybody. And then what happens is your calling is the sweet spot of purpose. So if you thought about this as sort of like a target, but the arrow's moving across the target instead of towards it. So you're doing, you're doing, you're doing your thing and all of a sudden, boom, it gets to the center and then your calling kicks in. And that's a unique thing that people receive from you when you're on, on purpose. So in my case, 
it opens people's eyes. And all of a sudden people go, oh, I see the possibility that on the backside, okay, how do we organize this so we can go do something? So that could be a, you know, as quick as walking down the hallway and bumping into somebody to something that's much larger, but the process is the process. And in the middle, when people have that moment, then that's the moment that you go, ah, that's the calling, which is your why. That's the thing that people are receiving from you. And it's actually a little harder to find because it's not what you want it to be. It's just what they get. I'll give you another great example of this is I have a, a colleague, business owner, very successful guy. And you think of business guys, you always say, oh, he's the point of the spear. He's the guy leading the parade. Well, in his business, he is. He's highly successful. But what he really likes to do is come along other leaders. And it turns out that his purpose in life is supporting passion. And he's done this for me. So you know this, John. If you're doing something big and you're not scared half to death, then you're not doing anything very big. So regardless of how bold or whatever we look like as leaders, truth of the matter is, you know, like, can I do this? It's a little scary. And this guy, Mike, just comes along people to support that, those sorts of folks. And so when we were doing the work, we were saying, so I wonder what your calling is. What we discovered was is that at that sweet spot, you know, he comes alongside, he's talking to you, talking off the cliff. But the moment that is the sweet spot, the calling is he's sharing confidence all of a sudden, you just have this, like, after talking, like, I can do this now. And it's a great story because when we went a little bit deeper on this thing, he said, you know, when I was a kid, if you saw me, you would have been so, you would have felt bad for me because I was the shyest kid in the world, you know. And he goes, I was afraid of my own shadow. And I had a Bible teacher who gave me a verse out of Jeremiah that just bolstered me up because I still use it today. And it gives me the ability to go do what I do. And so he went from the super shy guy, that's his story, Follow some deep guy that's got the confidence to come along people doing big things. So he's now selling his business, talking about where he's moving into ministry and some things he wants to do in that space, but using the knowledge of the best thing he can do is to come along other leaders using his purpose and his calling. So that's how people are using this. We're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. You've heard that old Harry Truman quote, leaders are readers, Right. Well, John and I are big fans of a service that we subscribed to last year called Blinkist. Blinkist provides summaries of many of the top books on the market. Each book summary is divided into short blinks, hence the name Blinkist, and most of the summaries you can read in less than 15 minutes. If you're interested in leadership, check out The 7 Habits of Highly Effective People. Or if you want to brush up on your marketing, how about Purple Cow by Seth Godin? Check out a Blinkist seven-day free trial so you can have access to the entire library of more than 2,500 summaries. Their app is well-designed, and you can export the summaries to your Kindle, or you can do what I do is listen to the audio while I'm reading the Blinks before bed to get that extra reinforcement of those ideas. If that sounds interesting to you, you can find our affiliate link embedded in the summary of this MP3 or go to eternalleadership.com slash blink. That's eternalleadership.com slash blink. By using that link, it's an easy way for you to help support the costs associated with producing this show. I love Blinkist, John loves Blinkist, and we are confident that most of our listeners will love them too. Like I said, the link is embedded in the summary of this MP3 or go to eternalleadership.com slash blink. Thanks. So a question for you, the calling you described for yourself, if I understood this, right? Mm -hmm. First of all, the purpose is mobilizing that possibility for people, right? Right, And that calling for you, though, is actually making that mobilization like real, like how do we move toward it? What are the concrete steps? Moving people into action to take an idea and moving it manifested in reality. Right. The gentleman that you just talked about, right, to just ignite people in their passions, give them that confidence uh, to exhort them, to encourage them. Now, these aren't specifically, you know, that doesn't give a lot of clues of like what I should be doing as I'm hearing you. And you and I were talking before we hit record. I've come to the opinion that, you know, very specific callings that are an assignment, like, you know, go here to this city, you know, this kind of job are actually kind of few and far between. But I get the sense from talking to a lot of people that that is actually what they're looking for and waiting for. So they're almost in this holding pattern waiting for this very specific assignment. Could you kind of talk to that concept yeah. a little bit? Let me give you a great example. Uh, people think they're waiting for something calling, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> My phone's going to ring and off to Africa I go. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> That's why most people don't answer the phone because they're afraid they're going to have to go to Africa. <laughs> or I'm going to make this job change, right? I'm going to, you know, I need a different career. I'm going to the same job with the same people and I'm bored. I don't like it anymore. So maybe my calling, this isn't my calling because I feel discontent where I'm at. Yeah, that makes sense. Else. So I had this lady come to me. Um, the reason she came to me was uh, she'd been in this job for 13 years. It was a startup. They had a lot of success. I think they got like 200 people running around there now. But after 13 years, you know, she kind of felt like it ran, it ran its course for her. And she's really thinking about moving into maybe coaching or doing something differently. And she really wanted to make sure she made the right move. And thus, uh, Jeff, I want to get clarity about what my purpose is and what my calling is. I said, eh, yeah, great. That's exactly what I do. So we sat down. We did the work. And what came up was that she, uh, her purpose is clarifying perspective. So where she gets called into action is like if two people are arguing, now I don't want to do this, but she, for some reason she likes to do this. She likes to get in the middle of that. And she is this really calming, loving sort of person. And he has this ability to get to parties to clarify their perspective for each other in a way that they can find some equal place. She'd probably be great in our government. But it also shows up where she's working with people that are having difficulties with their boss, people that have gotten in trouble with the values of the company. So she's the one that helps people get their perspective in line and be able to move forward. And then when we did the work around the calling, what we discovered was her sweet spot. So here's someone, let's say two people stand there arguing, and they're, you know, both got their position, and she's doing whatever she does to facilitate this, but the sweet spot is disabling fear. So if you think about that for a second, no one's ready to move off their spot, right? Because we kind of hunker down out of fear usually. So when she disables that fear, all of a sudden that opens up the ability to see the other person's story or what the challenge is. And then on the backside, you can start to move forward. So she goes, okay, you know, man, that was her. No question about it. She can make stories of how that shows up in her personal life and all over the place. She's going back to work because in my process, we land on uh, the purpose. And I said, okay, go live it. Let's go see if it's showing up. Let's see if those are the right words. And she comes back and says, Jeff, I cannot believe how often I'm doing this on my job. So it was already there. She just wasn't really noticing it. And then the second thing that happened for her, and she was a person that kind of liked to get permission from folks, all of a sudden felt super empowered. So now it was like, I'm really going for this. I want to raise the level of how I do this, as well as I just want to do more of it. So guess where she's at? Same company, on fire, right? Right where she was getting ready to leave, by now looking. So this is the idea of making work meaningful is she made it meaningful, right? It wasn't like if she went and found it. It was like already there. She's making it. She's shifting her mindset around it and seeing what she's really being called to do on a day-to-day -day basis, and it was already there. So often, we don't have to go anywhere. It's just really about understanding where our big value is and really appreciating that and starting to take that to another level. So that, which is sort of step one in the process. Step two is start to create a compelling vision around that and start to say, how can I start to expand upon this and really expand upon it across all areas of our lives. Okay, so vision. There's a lot of talk about vision. How do you define vision? Well, I go with compelling vision. <laughs> okay. I like vision, that. The vision is kind of the success idea, right? Like I'm here, I see the top of a mountain. If I climb that mountain personally or with my team, you know, we're going to get the following things, right? Rewarded in some fashion. Uh, compelling vision is the significance side of it. So, you know, when we're in our purpose and when we're calling and it's not about us, that's where the significance comes in. So now we start to look at it from the perspective of, how do I drive success through significance? How do I start to bring my purpose and calling to life and what I'm doing? So I'm getting kind of the two for here, right? Significance is getting created and getting greater success, which is proven by all the business models that you have around purpose-driven organizations are only more, always more successful than our you know, purely bottom-line profit-driven companies. So for example, um, in my business, uh, my compelling vision is to make work meaningful. Right? So now I can get into like who's my specific target and all this, but I realized one of my biggest frustrations I had throughout my whole career is that 76% of that population that you're talking about. I mean, to me, that's an atrocity. How can people spend the majority of their waking hours doing something, just cranking the wheel, waiting for the weekend, waiting for retirement? That to me just seems like the most wrong thing in the whole world. I always thought work would be this amazing, fun, kumbaya, charge the hill kind of thing. And to see that, I have to go fix that, John. <laughs> I just have to go fix that. 
So it's finding that compelling vision in work, a compelling vision for your relationships, compelling visions for health even. I mean, you know, another kind of interesting story, I like to eat bad things. I have no problem working out, but I just like my burgers, my fries, and I'm always trying to say, okay, I gotta do better, I'll do better. And the other day I was going to give a talk to a group of women on a Saturday morning, it's seven o'clock and I'm like going, okay, I know if I don't eat or eat real light, I'll show up feeling better, feeling stronger, you know, prepared to give this talk. Seriously, John, I sat here, talked to myself and I talked myself into having some bacon and eggs and some toast, knowing I wasn't going to feel good, but justifying it. Well, in two hours, I'll be okay. That was the conversation that went on my head. So of course now I'm driving out to go to give this talk. I'm not feeling as good as I could be. I'm kind of mad at myself. And I get there and I see this group of people that came here for me to do what I do, right? I mean, I'm in my, my zone. I'm here to mobilize the possibilities for these people. I'm here to try and open their eyes, right? I mean, I've been given this great gift. And what did I do? I ate bacon and eggs and I wasn't 100%. And I'm driving home, I'm going, Jeff, you need to change your health perspective relative to what I'm doing in life. Not this, oh, I just want to feel better, look better, what, no. There's a direct tie on my purpose and calling to my health. Does that make sense? So you can start to really tie these things all together. You know, I think that's so important. It was interesting, just as a side note, I was coaching a CEO of a large manufacturing company and he showed up and we're dealing with a, a lot that was going on in the, this organization. And he showed up for a, a coaching call and said what he wanted to focus on was losing weight. And I'm like, okay, well, how does that fit in with, you know, your goals, your vision, these things that we've been talking about? And so the question I asked him is, well, what would that give you? He says, well, I'd, you know, I'd feel better about myself. I didn't feel like we landed on something that really connected, you know, to his purpose, his call, a compelling vision. I literally asked him that question. I actually felt a bit obnoxious 11 times, Jeff. And that 11th time I asked him as we kept going deeper and deeper and connecting this to something emotionally important, the last time I asked it, there was literally almost a minute of silence and I could tell there was tears in his eyes. And what he said was, but you know what? I've never really shared this verbally, but because of my being overweight my whole life, I've never been able to be actively part of my kids' life. And now we have grandkids and this weekend, they all went on a hike and I made an excuse not to go with because I knew that it would be too hard for me. He goes, I don't want to live that way anymore. This was two years ago. He has now lost 60 pounds and kept it off. And he just ran his first triathlon. And I think that like you're talking about the bacon and eggs, some of these habits, some of the things the, in our life that clutter it up that we put in front of ourselves to prevent us from moving into the fullness of life and what we're called to do. We have to take the time to slow down and connect some of the changes that we need to make to why it's important because change does not occur until that pain of change exceeds the pain of staying the same. Totally agree with that, John. Right? So that is something I've had to do that in my life. And I got to tell you, doing that with a coach, doing that with, you know, friends, a Bible study group, it is hard to do that process solo. Because what I also realized is I've gotten these results, these mindsets by operating alone. And a lot of leaders do feel lonely. Mm -hmm. You know, that's part of the place we, uh, you know, to do some of this work, we have to open ourselves up and be vulnerable and share some of these things, our fears, our doubts, our concerns, as we're moving into this, as we kind of go through this process of embracing a new way of thinking and changing some of the things that we're doing. So in your story, I, I was struck by which goes back to the definition. It's the unique thing you do for others and the unique thing that people receive. So in my bacon and egg story, that whole conversation was about me and what I wanted. And then when I realized, you know, I wasn't delivering for these people, right? I wasn't delivering on my purpose. Similar to the person who was like the family. So the purpose becomes more powerful. I think when it's not about you, I think we're willing to give up on ourselves too often, but when we have other people and we get the responsibility we have to, uh, you know, bring what we bring to other people in this case, health for his kids and that that's the game changer. That's where the catalyst comes from. That's the power in this whole thing is that it's about creating something for someone else and not about us. And that's pretty anti-American. I think, you know, it's, and then, 
think there's the jail we get that we think we're the center of the universe and everything's about us. And when you flip that around a little bit, we start to have a chance to be of service. And I believe joy comes from service. Smoldering discontent starts to go away. You know what? I'm glad you highlighted that. And for everybody listening, man, I think that is such a huge value point that you just shared is if you're having a challenge working in this area of purpose and calling, and now that I'm thinking about what you said, the times that I've actually been thinking about how that affects me, what I want to do, how I want to be known, that really stifles the process. And like you said, just changing your eating habits when you realized this isn't about you and your health. This is about how if you really want to be effective in your purpose and your calling, you need to be showing up as your best self. Then you're able to make the changes that allow you to do that, right? And that's so much more fulfilling. And it's kind of free. Yeah. My challenge is what I put in my mouth. I don't need any extra time. I don't need to create a project. I don't need a big spreadsheet, right? All I need to do, and to your point, be conscious enough at the point that I'm about to stick something in my mouth to be able to go, who am I trying to be for other people? And is this burger going to serve that (laughs) or not, right? And so that's like kind of a freebie decision, but it just elevates the need for me to make a better decision. Yeah. So let me ask you this, because I love so many things in your book, but on page 88 and 89, you talk about this concept you call the possibility funnel, Jeff. On page 88 and 89, dude, It's it's the uh, possibility funnel. Okay. Okay. And you have this diagram. I love this because I think so many of us, right, this is going to describe us, right? We have all these possibilities. We're looking at our spiritual goals, our talents, our skills, the kind of work that we could do, our health, the relationships we want to have with our friends and family. I mean, there's so many elements to life, right? And it's all woven together. And what you describe is, and this funnel gets smaller, you run all these possibilities through your purpose, then the funnel gets narrower as we run that through our calling and then we run that through our vision. And out of that comes, you know, a much smaller number of discrete possibilities. And then you say, Hey, then now let's run that through a reality filter. And is there something that you can, you know, land on that's really going to kind of drive and motivate things. So as you've kind of worked with people through this process, what have you found? I think if I can give you a visual, give our a crowd a visual, I think we're the power of purpose and calling. So if you think about the, the New Year's resolution, right? What is it? By the end of January, 80% of people have already given up on their thing. So if you think of yourself in the hub, right? Here I am. And you got all these different aspects of life. I got my spiritual. I got my family. I got my health. I got my work. And what does New Year's Eve look like, right? You say, okay, well, you know, I want to increase revenue by 20%. So here's some projects and effort I'll put over here. Oh, my wife says I spend too much time at work, so I need to create date night. Yes, I need to lose some weight. So this is the year I'm going to go to the gym, right? So, you know, I got to get to church. I got to, you know, I got to have my quiet time. So all of a sudden you create all these projects that are all competing against each other. If you flip this around and put your purpose and calling in the middle of this, And you looked at this and said, okay, based on who I am, right, based on the compelling vision I have for these different areas, what could I be doing that would enhance who I am? And now everything is going back to the center. So instead of like all pulling against each other, now everything is coming back to the common, what is my purpose? What is my calling? And what can I be doing now? And even like the health thing, you start to find these freebies that come along when you're just trying to be that person you're trying to be. So that acts as a great filter or kind of sorting through all these things that the world thinks you should be doing and how you should be showing up and right all these activities we should be doing that we quite honestly always end up failing at. Now all of a sudden, everything comes back to a center. And I believe it's the center that we came to this world pre-wired with. I mean, I think there's this view that uh, some people, you know, we came to this world with a purpose. Some people think we're supposed to go find it later. And some people just don't even care. I'm a big advocate. I think it's biblical that we came here on a mission to do something. We're given a set of strengths and talents. I love Ephesians 2.10. I mean, I am God's workmanship. That's just, you know, just the visual that's like unbelievable. And then the idea that, uh, yeah, he had a plan for us before we got here. Are we going to step into it? So, I mean, there's a calling right there. Every day I write down that verse on my to-do list, right, just as a reminder of, yep, that's who I am. And now that I've got these words, so like kind of the, not kind of the uh, life verse that I got in kind of a strange way, but it's Ephesians 1.18 says, 
Now with the eyes of my heart enlightened, I may know the hope for which he has called me. And to me, it's like, all right, you know, he's opened my eyes. I know what he is he wants me to do. Now I just get to step into that hope. I get to step into the, the cool thing of doing this kind of work with people. It's unbelievable, John. <laughs> yeah, well, that right there is just a compelling vision. And here's what I'd like to do as we wrap up. Some of the examples you've given in your own life with some of these other folks that are all in business around purpose and calling. How do you tie that into then business as ministry and, you know, doing kingdom work, you know, when you're out there in the world Monday through Friday? So I've been around business ministry for 20 years. I've been highly disappointed. <laughs> I haven't seen a move one iota since the day I showed up. But meanwhile, here in San Diego, I'm involved with things like cause conferences and, and Purpose San Diego. And I hate to say that I see lots of other parts of the secular world moving forward with you know, the mandate to have business, which is probably the greatest influence in the world today, to start to look at what we do differently and that we're lagging behind so far as, as Christians. And so I think, in my opinion, the problem with our business ministry is we're trying to do the church model. And so we tell the business leaders, well, you know, if you had a Bible study at lunch, that would be perfect. And who, who in your staff did you save today versus what is my business? What is my personal purpose? What is my mission? How is this business a translation of that? And kind of back to how I shared in the projects, how do I start to invite people into that in a bigger way? So if my passion's around relationships, man, you know, how do we change the way relationships look like for my employees, for my uh, vendors, for my customers? What are the purpose and calling of the people that work for me, right? You can do this in a completely secular way that you don't, you know, you're not going to get sued or anything. So it's really about how business shows up different, not better, right? I mean, it's really about how are we showing up differently? And I think we have this great source of saying, how do we bring purpose and mission to our businesses in a way that we're having a big impact, changing the way our business looks? And what interfaces with us, it just looks way different than anyone else they're working with. And we know, and from a business model perspective, we know it's proven to be more lucrative, right? It's a win-win. So I'm not sure if I answered that well. I just think that business ministry has taken the, has had a bit of a wrong twist to it. Well, no, I think you hit on something really key. I think, uh, I know, I got, when I sit down with a lot of business owners, right, Christian business owners, and I ask them their why, like, why does this business exist? I would say nine times out of 10, the answer that I hear is what they do. Right. Right. We do insurance. We make, you know, we do oil and gas processing. We're developing this software app. That is not a manifestation of a personal purpose, calling and vision into an organization where that organization is not only a vehicle to do that activity, but actually then accomplish something that's bigger than that in the world through that activity, if that makes sense. And I honestly feel that or, and I've seen it, when people can connect that personal vision and purpose and calling into how they talk, how they treat people, into the culture of their company, get people involved in something that's more than just their job, you know, role and responsibilities. Those are the companies that are not only growing phenomenally, but they're thriving, they're attracting people. And when we do that, you know, as Christians in the marketplace, I believe what gives us the ability to influence others toward the kingdom is excellence in what we do, how we show up, the kind of business that we do, are, you know, are we living in our integrity? And that is a light that needs to be out in the world. But if we just focus on our job and doing our job well, you know, that's only part of it. That's just being better. Yep. So let me give you an example of this, uh, back to the business leader that I shared that's uh, supporting passion. So he's selling his business right now and he admits he's got senioritis. So he's got, uh, you know, through the end of this year, based on the, the, the sale of business and how that's all working. And so it's, he's finding it really hard to show up at work every day, right? And so I'm out walking this morning and I'm thinking, why isn't he coming along, all his employees, or at least some of the key employees, and just asking the question, what's the big thing you're up to? Here at work, outside of work, wherever they are starting to stretch, right? And then do what he does. How can I help you facilitate that? How do I give you the confidence to make that big move? So he doesn't have to go anywhere, right? I mean, right where he's at, he's got people around him 
And while he's kind of going through this difficult transition thing and thinking about how he'll bring uh, passion and all that or support passion in the future, but what about today? What about in this business? How much more satisfied will people be in his circle when they're showing up and they're, you know, they're getting to do something bigger and greater in life? And here's this guy, highly talented in doing that. So there's an example of, yeah, his business makes uh, big security rooms for uh, high secret government facilities, but also there he is with this ability, this capability to help the people around him step up and do something in a greater way, have greater confidence. So it's just bringing it alive right where you're at. And that becomes a game changer. Then that cascades to all the other people, the people they're touching. And now you've got business ministry. That's my view of it. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Now, how do people get in touch with you? What's your website? How do they get a copy of the book? Yeah, um, well, the book's on Amazon, Jailbreak Leadership. So just go look that up, Jailbreak Leadership. Best way to connect with me is uh, the Blanton Group. And that's uh, Be Like a Boy, L-A-N-T-O-N Group, Blanton Group. You can go on there. Uh, we got some videos that explain the different portions of the process. And big picture, what we do is we have three months of really revelation where we figure all this good stuff out. And then we have six months of uh, really group activities of learning how to turn it on. That's awesome. So as we wrap up, Jeff, what are just kind of a, a couple thoughts you'd like to leave with everybody listening? Well, the number one one, one is please step back. <laughs> Take a bit of an assessment of what it is that you're believing, right? I mean, what are your truths? I think we're all in jail. We've all bought into a whole lot of things. Some of those things probably are working well for us and some of them aren't working. I think some of them are like really subtle and we don't even realize the influence they're having on us. Uh, the people around us probably know. <laughs> so that would be step number one. And number two, I'm going to say, I hear a lot of people talking about purpose. Well, I actually have found and discovered a way, been given this as a gift to help people discover it in just two simple words. And it's not heavy lifting because you're already doing it. We're just identifying and putting the words to it. And with that in hand, I think that becomes a great launching point to move off in a different direction to have a major, major impact in the world. Man, that's awesome. So people out there, you're looking for a process to connect these and, you know, create a plan and jump into a life more fully alive, right? Just take that next small step toward that. I really hope you plug into to what Jeff's been doing. And by the way, uh, on blantinggroup.com, I signed up for your newsletter. It's honestly, I get so many newsletters, Jeff, and just everybody listening. This is actually one of the few that I have not put in my roll up because I love reading when you put those out, what you have on there. It is always, there's something in there, a nugget that makes me think, gives me something to act on. And man, I just really appreciate the work you're doing, just pouring your heart, putting it out there, serving people, mobilizing possibilities for people, and you're doing it big time. So thanks, brother, and I look forward to our next conversation. Well, thank you. It's been my pleasure. Been looking forward to this for a long time, John, so it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, me too. Have a great one. You too. Take care.